Holt Perez. Fantastic! What a way to claim your hat trick. Perez picking out. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith, but Thomas charging through the midfield, Thomas, it's up for grabs now! Thomas! Right at the end! Hello everyone, welcome to the You Are My Arsenal podcast. My name is Jessica and I'm your host and you can follow me on Twitter at It's Jessino. On today's show, we're going to be doing a little recap of our game against Sheffield United. We won 3-0, so that's always a good thing. Um, whether or not this game really means that much you know, for our season... You know, we'll discuss that, but ultimately I think whenever we dominate a team and, and win by multiple goals and keep a clean sheet and the football's nice, it's something to to be happy about. And we'll also talk a little bit about Lacazette and, you know, he actually got his 50th uh, Arsenal goal over the weekend. And, you know, I think he's such a divisive character that it's a, probably a good time to talk about, you know, um, or just analyze his career at Arsenal, you know, thus far. And um, we'll also talk a little bit about Oates and Edward. You know, we've been linked with him over the last couple of years as a potential replacement. And, you know, apparently we are battling it out, you know, with Lester, you know, for, for a player. So, you know, we'll talk about what the likelihood of us bringing him in is and um, if there's any other replacements on our mind. But without further ado, I'd like to bring in my two panelists today, um, both from Yama. Both have been here before. Um, Luke, how are you today? Yeah, um, uh, in Arsenal terms, in a much better mood than the last two or three. (laughs) They can't complain. Um, Yeah, I thought it was a really fun game to watch, which is something that we're not really used to right now. Um, Really kind of interesting tactical shape as well. Um, I think Arteta looked like he went for like a back three when we're in possession, a back four when we're out of possession with like... It's quite interesting that when Zach had the ball and they went to the back three, Sabias was kind of making those kind of runs out to the left flank just to kind of create more uh, passing angles. But it's really good to see Martinelli. Um, uh, I think his his run in is like sometimes it may seem ineffective because he doesn't really get on the end of much, but he really does kind of set a tempo for everyone else, which is really like kind of infectious throughout the team. Uh, Saka, I thought he was given the the freedom of Bramall Lane and. To be, to be honest, other than maybe Odegaard, out of every player we've got in the team right now, if any player is going to be given that kind of freedom, I'd want it to be Saka because, as, as so many people have said, he's got such um, a great mind as a footballer for a 19-year-old. It's unbelievable how intelligent he is. And he, and he backs up with so much ability. Um, great to see Lacazette kind of fighting back after a poor kind of like kind of performance uh, uh, in midweek where he could have put kind of us 
he could have made life a lot easier for us and probably should have done and didn't. But tonight he kind of played with that kind of like a real edge that kind of that you want to see from a striker after he's had a poor day. And and party as well. I thought party had another great um, had a, a great game. Um and his last year have been poor, so he needed a good performance as well. Um the only thing I would be fear of is if we are going to play that same team where the back four out of possession was Jacques and Mari holding and Chambers. To me, it's quite an, an athletic back four. I'd kind of fear if we played it against a team a bit more pace up front. Um, so I don't know if really that's going to be the answer to what we need for the rest of the season if Tierney is going to be out for the rest of the season. But it's a great confidence uh, pickup and we will go again on Thursday. So yeah, like, uh, great. Can't, can't really complain. Ben... How are you doing today? I, I know it's like <laughs> yeah. one of those things where I always like we start talking and then I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to introduce somebody else too. like I will get it right. You guys, I will get it right. But Ben, first of all, how are you? And two, what did you think of the game? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, like Luke, I can't really complain. Um, pubs are open again in Britain, so that's all all fun and games. Um, the, the result, as you say, was uh, good. I, I always with the game, I'm always very diff- I'm struggling to contextualize, I suppose, because having followed Sheffield United quite a lot over the last couple of seasons, um, that was comfortably the worst I've seen them play. I think the there's a, a bit like Arsenal in a way. There's there's they're undergoing a bit of a culture change in the they're trying to play out more from the back, and I think we saw that a lot, especially from um, Ramsdale in goal. Um, and it just wasn't, they don't really have the right sort of players to do it, which meant that they didn't really get a foothold in the game at all. Uh, and whilst we won comfortably, and you know, there were moments of quality, it's very difficult to judge quite how good the Arsenal performance was against such a lackluster opposition. But on the flip side, I would say, you know, you can only beat what's in front of you, and too often this season we haven't just beaten what's in front of us. Um, and that's been a really, really bad thing about Arsenal this season is that we've tried to overcomplicate, I think, a lot of times. And this time it seemed like we were just... Uh, the players were sort of just going out with the idea to just go for it. And it didn't really matter, which I think was quite refreshing. But, I mean, just say, can't, com- can't complain about the result. Uh, a bit wary about getting ahead of myself because we've seen these sort of false storms before and at Sheffield United, but um, 3-0, good result. Uh, on to midweek. Yeah, it's I get what you guys are saying about like you don't really want to put too much on on this game because obviously Sheffield United are by far the worst team in the Premier League, you know, but um I'm I wonder cuz when the game originally started, I remember there was just so much, you know, chatter about what is this lineup? What is this setup? Because I thought Saka was going to be playing left back and obviously we found out that he was playing more of a free 10 role and Jacka was it was a left back. You know, um I'm wondering if this was Arteta's way of trying to experiment with something that he wants to try on Thursday. My biggest fear about that is, you know, the teams are completely different. Sheffield is is nothing like Slavia Prague. And Slavia Prague is likened to Leeds, where they like to kind of press you from the front. They're a rather busy team. You know, they are going to be high on confidence as well because they feel like they are very much so in this tie, which they are. So my apprehension to all of this is trying to, you know, implement the exact same system that we played against Sheffield, against Slavia Prague, 
and maybe Arteta over, you know, overthinking it. You know, one of my biggest criticisms of Arteta is I feel like he overthinks a lot. And, um, you know, Ceballos against a poor Sheffield United team won't be the same against a pressy Slavia Prague team. You know, he looked good and I'm glad, you know, he's gotten his confidence up and and those types of things in, in the game against Sheffield. But, you know, I think I'm leaning towards wanting Jacka to be back in that midfield with Thomas Party and maybe we just take the concession and just go with Cedric. You know, um, I don't know. I as much as I think that this was a, a good game to tinker, I think we need to be really, really safe and go with something that we've seen before um in Europe on Thursday. I mean, I think the 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 issue with what I have or the issue that I have, I suppose, with the Sheffield United game is as Luke said, Sabios uh was sort of drifting out left. He was sort of playing a weird left mid role, but also drifting inside a bit to help party. But very often it was Thomas Party left against three Sheffield United midfielders. And I think that Sheffield United are probably the highest level of quality where you can probably get away with just leaving Thomas Partey on his own to boss that midfield. And credit to him, he did brilliantly. But it felt like we always had an extra man in attack because we could leave Thomas Partey on his own. And Ceballos was basically told, don't worry about tactical, you know, don't worry about anything tactical, just go out, find the space, do what he does best, you know, which is link up play, you know, he does it very well, whether it's from eight or 10. Um, there's always been the more tactical side of the game he struggled with. And I think that setting him free against Slavia Prague would be risky. Um, I think it could be really interesting, but it could also backfire. You know, we've seen it go wrong against um, Benfica and Olympiacos already this season. So I would be more supportive of seeing Xhaka in there, who's perhaps a safer pair of hands. Um, in that he's much better looking after the ball. He doesn't try anything too adventurous, but he's very good for uh, uh, possession turnover, uh, just keeping the ball ticking over. Uh, and I, I think that with the options that we've got going forward, if Saka is past fit, which, again, you know, is a question mark over him for Thursday, I think that he should probably be playing at left-back just because of where Tierney plays as a left-back. Um, you know, playing so far forward, Jack covers him anyway. So it would make sense to me for second to be playing there and Jack are probably back in midfield. Do you? Oh, go ahead, Luke. Go. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think Ben was bang on when he was saying how Thomas Barty was kind of pretty much left alone uh, in that midfield and that that would be a risk. I think Arteta is clearly trying to find a solution to Tierney being out the team that isn't taking Saka away from the attacking thirds, which you can understand. Um, and obviously it worked great for Sheffield United, but it's, it's risky because um, we know that Shaka isn't a natural left back. Um, can we play this open against a, against a Slavia Prague team that have already proven they can uh, kind of tip the, the tide on us? Um, it's a big risk that I'd make if he was to kind of deploy the same system, but there's no guarantee that he will, to be honest. It could have just been a, kind of something that was required for this game because of the players that he had available. You never really know. Um, probably the one thing we can say about Arteta is that um, you can't really sec- like kind of guess what is in his mind, what his plan is, which in a way is a good thing and in a way is a frustrating thing. Um, 
it could easily see Granit Xhaka start a left back against Slavia Prague. You could easily see Cedric come back in. You could easily see Saka actually going into that position. I, I think that my gut it tells me that he's dead set on keeping Saka in that attack. And you can see why in the sense like what we've previously spoken about. Um, Saka has great chemistry with pretty much every attacking player. Um, everything good we do does seem to channel to, like through Shaka, uh, through uh, Bukayo Saka. Um, his intelligence and ability kind of has been a big part of what's breathed like a new life into this Arsenal team. And I think Arteta is really dead set in keeping him in those areas that he's been so effective in the last few months. But, you know, it's a, it's a big call because if he was to go with Granit Xhaka at left back at Slavia Prague and he gets exposed, then, you know, that's going to go down back to Arteta. Like people aren't going to be blaming Xhaka for not being a good left back. Uh, so it is a big risk. Um, uh, you'd like to trust that he'll make the right call in the night. Um, uh, but, you know, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. I, I honestly don't think that this is even like the biggest call that he's going to have to make. You know, the, you know, the left back situation, I know that we build up through the left and not having tyranny is, is a big factor. I'm not like minimizing that, but I think Cedric up to a certain point does an okay job. I think, yes, he's, he switches off a lot of our players switch off and he's been culpable for some goals, but you know, um, I think my issue with the way that we were set up in the first leg was more about not having any width and no speed in behind. You know, if Cedric is on the left-hand side as a right footer, then just put Pepe on the left, you know, and just make it easier. If Saka is available, um, I think, like you guys have said, Arteta will put him at right wing you know, depending on what happens with the 10 situation as well. But I think you can easily put Pepe over there next to Cedric uh, or in front of Cedric. But I think the bigger question is really about who he's going to play at center forward. Are we going to shoehorn a bombing into this lineup and put him off of the left-hand side? Or is he going to make the big boy call and choose either Lacazette who's in form or a bombing who's our, you know, our talisman. I think that's, the decision that I'm looking at Arteta to make and make the right one, you know, um, in this game, I think Lacazette really redeemed himself. And I know we're going to, you know, do a more in-depth conversation about Lacazette's career at Arsenal, but just in general from this game, I felt he was trying to make up for the mistakes against Slavia Prague, you know, um, he got into good positions, but obviously had some big misses and he came back with good confidence and good aggression. And he added the goals to his game, but also had that work rate that he's been known for this season, the buildup play that he's been known for this season and really has been integral to everything that we've done. That's been successful up until this point, you know, and I think the fluidity and the freedom in which we play with when Lacazette is in the team makes it, really difficult to justify bringing in a bombing if he's if he's not if he doesn't have the flu anymore you know so um yeah I think he has to make that big decision and I'm interested to know what you guys think about you know the center forward situation are we shoehorning lock or a bombing in here or are we making a decision you know which one is going to play up up top um I, th I think, going, I mean, first of all, going back to the left back, I think it's a lot more important than perhaps a lot of Arsenal fans give it credit for just simply in terms of build up. I know we see Jacker drop in there a lot, but if you're looking at 
a player who is predominantly right-footed playing at left-back, if, even if you go back to sort of the Manchester United game, you see every time in build-up where, where for example, Leno rolls it short, uh, out to Cedric every time it comes back inside, which is traditionally the more congested area of the pitch. Um, and it makes it a lot harder for us. And whilst I think that Pepe on the left will probably mitigate some of that because of his natural left-footedness, I think that signing a backup left-back was a real, perhaps one of the biggest mistakes we've made in a long time, even if it had only been a couple of million, you know, on someone who we haven't heard of, um, who we're willing to take a gamble on. But I think that playing a right-footed player there, both sort of, takes away a lot of the build-up play we have. And also, it really jars with a lot of the players. So, I mean, it's difficult. I'm, I'm not I'm not obviously going to blame Cedric being right-footed on Gabriel's poor pass out for Liverpool's third goal. But looking at it from a sort of playing in defence, you're trying to look at playing onto a left-back's right foot as opposed to a left-back's left foot. And we saw it was same with uh, Slavia Prague in the first leg, where a natural left-footer would just clear the ball where Cedric went back inside and we conceded the corner and then the goal. Um, and I also think that the left-back has a lot of knock-on effects. So I think that if, for example, if we were to play Cedric there, as you say, we can't then play Aubameyang uh, left wing, which means you probably end up playing Pepe on the left or Martinelli. Equally, I don't think you can probably play uh, Pepe slash Martinelli and Aubameyang in the same side simply because... They're, they're very, their trademark moves are too similar in terms of every time they'll get the ball, they'll want to cut inside and want to shoot. Um, and they won't do a lot off the ball. Uh, they won't be particularly good in build-up play. So you're looking at sort of Lacazette being the one that comes in for that and then having Pepe on the left or, or potentially the right with Martinelli on the left, depending on Saka. Um, so I think that in terms of how Arsenal play, the left-back is probably a lot more important than we give it credit for both as a position and for the knock-on effect it has on other positions in the side. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, uh, I think the big thing for Arteta in this game is is how he predicts the midfield battle, which I think is was one of the, the main downfalls of, his, of the last Slavia Prague tie, was that he thought he needed... Partey, Xhaka and Willian in kind of that midfield area to, to command the area when we didn't. Um, and then, funnily enough, in the next game, Sheffield United, he goes with pretty much only Partey. Um, so could that be like almost kind of a precursor to what you might be planning for the next Slavia Prague game? Uh, that would be interesting to see. Uh, I think if he gets, if he predicts that midfield battle right, then the game would, could just kind of flow and it'll be fine. Because I, I, I agree with you, Jess. I thought, I mean, easy for me to say in hindsight, uh, but after watching the the game against Slavia Prague, I did think that Pepe should have played over Willian. I thought if we had one more person, like a runner on, we had like spaces we could exploit. It was a really open game. Um, we were dominating certain areas, but we were kind of struggling to really kind of penetrate. Um, if Pepe was there, I would think that in the first half, we'd have created a lot more opportunities and maybe we're not kind of looking at what seems like a 50-50 tie at the moment. Um, so the question for Arteta will be, how many midfielders does he need? Uh, will he kind of put Xhaka back into midfield and have him and Thomas Partey there and try and like let the front four roam a bit further forwards? That that would be interesting. I do think if Cedric does play left-back, then um, 
having a left footer on the left would um, uh, be a lot more balanced, which again kind of throws um, Aubameyang's potential inclusion into doubt. It, uh, in the past, it has felt like Arteta sees Aubameyang as his biggest match winner. So he, I think it's potential we could play up front. But again, I think that Arteta is a bit uneasy about playing up front when Odegaard's not in the team. So um, the current injuries have really kind of thrown a spanner in what's kind of been a, a, a decent little kind of evolution of style that we've seen since Boxing Day. And Arteta, I think now has to come up with something different. And I think you kind of saw him kind of tinkering a bit against Sheffield United. He had to kind of find a different way because a lot of our play has go, does go through Tierney. A lot of our play does go through Saka. And I think that we've had our best success when he's kind of successfully separated them onto two very different areas of the pitch, which has kind of allowed the rest of the team to be galvanised around that. It's, I can't guess what he's going to do in the next game. Honestly, I've got absolutely no idea. Um, my gut tells me that if Aubameyang is fit, then he'll get Aubameyang in that team. But again, he didn't play the first leg. Will he reward Lacazette for a very good performance uh, against Sheffield United, where he looks like he's kind of fighting back a bit, which is a great sign going into that leg. Like if, if he's done against Sheffield United, like maybe he kind of takes that conviction into the next round or the next uh, next leg rather. So that that would be really helpful. But honestly, I've got absolutely no idea. This is uh, probably the most confused I've been um, <laughs> as an Arsenal fan since, uh, since well, just while I've been an Arsenal fan, to be honest. Pretty much. I mean, when you really think about it, it's like it's inconclusive whether we'll have a, a, a 10, somebody that can play in the 10 role or Odegaard or ESR. We don't know anything about any of them. And really that has a knock-on effect to who we choose to play up front. But um I think regardless, you know, I think it would be harsh on, on Lacazette if he doesn't get a chance to start. But like you, Luke, I think, you know, Arteta tends to gravitate towards Aubameyang when he's, you know, we need to win the game. And um, Aubameyang is our is our best striker, you know. So we, we never really know. I mean, but based on just kind of like a random question, based on how Ceballos played – you know, yesterday and seems like he's a little bit more confident would if Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe and Odegaard are not fit, would you throw Ceballos in that more 10 role or do you think it's too risky? Um, well, I think you'd be running out of options at this point. You've sort of got the, the options you'd have would be Lacazette dropping into 10 with a Bamiya in front of him or Willian playing at 10 um, or Ceballos at 10. I mean, or in, I mean, it, that is that it's either that or changing formation entirely, which we all thought. I think um, Arteta was going to do against Sheffield United. I think most people expect that to be a four-three-three based on how it lined up on the team sheet, but it actually came out as you know a regular forty-three-one with Xhaka at left back and Saka at number ten, which I think took a lot took most people by surprise, myself included. Um, I. I don't like Ceballos at 10, but I'm not sure where I like Ceballos in terms of if it's a disciplined team performance, I don't think he has a role. I think that at 10, he does a lot of what he thinks a 10 should do. The best, this is the best way I can describe it. I think he does a lot of what he thinks a 10 should do in trying to play Hollywood passes, trying back heels all the time. Whereas you see someone like Saka at uh, Sheffield United or even Smith Rowe when he first came into the side, who keep it simple, play one and two touch football, bring players in around them. Um, 
and generally keep the ball, which I think is really, really important. Um, and I think Ceballos lacks that maturity to say, this is not the time to try and play, you know, a 10-yard pass through the legs of three players uh, to set a player through on goal, even if he thinks he could do it. I think that a lot of the time, what he thinks he can do and what he actually can do are very, very different things. But I mean, as you say, I think if we've got that many injuries, it becomes a case of who else do you play there? William has been short of confidence for a long time uh, and bar a couple of good performances, well, okay performances off the bench, he's been pretty under underwhelming. Um, and Lacazette, would you really want to pull him further back if uh, after his performance that he had? Um, he seemed to really enjoy playing on the last shoulder. I mean, his two goals came from one-on-ones, uh, which is something that we didn't necessarily see Lacazette do a lot of before uh, the weekend. He was sort of much more involved in dropping deep and building up play and letting the others run beyond him. Uh, and it was quite refreshing to actually see him doing what a striker should be doing, uh, to be quite frank, just sort of getting in the box, getting the chances when they come to him and finishing them. But would you then want to take that away and maybe play him at 10? It's difficult, and I don't think there's an easy solution for Arteta. So, I mean, it's 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 going to be which is the least of the three evils, I think. And Sabahs at 10 is a very viable option. I just, personally, I wouldn't like to see it. It's, uh, it's one of those weird situations where the club is almost built like its whole kind of brand around Aubameyang and uh, Lacazette being a really good partnership. But as time's gone on, it feels like any potential partnership they have had is kind of really like kind of diminished um, uh, to the point where I, um, I saw someone said that Lacazette's last five goals have come when Aubameyang hasn't even been on the pitch. Um, it could be that um, Aubameyang as the main man, as like the, the main goal scoring threat and probably the only player that I've seen Arteta really um, build the team around in terms of like a, an individual. It could be that Lacazette is just kind of not getting enough of the spotlight in the sense that um, Aubameyang kind of gets to go into whatever areas he wants to and, and Lacazette has to be a fool for him. Um, but the difference is when he plays with the likes of Martinelli and Smith-Rowe and Saka, uh, these are players he can still be a fool for them, but he's still acting as the, the main man as well. So um, uh, Lacazette is the the senior player when when that front four or similar front fours are out there. Um, I think it's a really interesting dilemma, to be honest, because in an ideal world, we'd be able to put Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same first 11 because it makes sense on paper because you've got Lacazette, which is our top goal scorer um, right now, and you've got Aubameyang, who is undoubtedly our best goal scorer right now. So you, like on paper, you want both those players in the first 11. Um, but it does feel like as time goes on, they're just more and more snuffing each other out. I don't I, I don't see um, Lacazette getting into as many goal scoring situations. The the run that he made um, uh, yesterday, the one that, that party gives him the ball in, and, and the one that swear the first goal when Ceballos kind of makes a flick through, I'd have thought, that's the kind of area Aubameyang would have been in had he been on the pitch. Um, uh, and then at the same time, I, when they're both on the pitch, I don't see Lacazette providing a lot for Aubameyang. Now, anyway, I, I don't think, I mean, I, I'm probably wrong when I say this, but I don't remember Lacazette providing an assist for Aubameyang. Um, uh, the last one I remember is maybe the Crystal Palace game last season, if you remember that goal, like quite early into, yeah. into our Before Aubameyang got reign. the red card, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. <laughs> There's always something in there. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, why I remember it. It's because of that yeah. crazy red card. But yeah, I remember. 
so the big thing now for Arteta is that for the next game, because this, what we know about the next game is that it's a cup tie and a cup tie is results over performances. So while in most games, I'd love to say to you, a good performance is better than a result because it kind of makes you feel better for results that are going to be ahead. In this game, I'd rather play to 5% of our capacity and just get a 1-0 win if that means we go through. Um, so I think that the important thing for Arteta would be is that he has to kind of very temporarily abandon um, any kind of ideas of building a project further for this one game and actually try and look at a very kind of almost insular short-terminism, um, what's going to be the best team to make feel in this day. And I think that's what he's done in the past. I think that in big cup ties, he has prioritised the cup tie. It was almost kind of like this cup tie is on its own island, and he's just kind of focusing on that one cup tie. Um, I think we've seen that against uh, when we played Man City and, and Chelsea in the final. Um, he doesn't mind... Uh, going from kind of a more rear guard defensive performance and then um, unleashing like a counter-attack and, and something like that. So I think this will be the main thing. He's got to analyse now um, how we can win the midfield battle in this, in a better way than we did in the first leg. And then he has to kind of be brave enough to put the players on that are going to kind of exploit those spaces better because I think people... I think most people probably agree that he was a bit too conservative in the first leg when he didn't need to be. Uh, we're still not sure what kind of a defensive situation are going to be in for next week because they're like it was a defensive crisis in the first leg and like something that we could and really should have taken advantage of um it could be that they're in a similar position to this leg so even though they're at home we could still easily take the initiative play the attacking players and just overrun them so that i think that's that's the main thing isn't it yeah i mean I, what what i'm interested in is you say that uh, Arteta puts this sort of game as an island uh, in terms of how we work as a as a progressive side. C- could you see that as being completely different, like drastically different? Or do you think that in terms of an island, you mean he's not going to play one player, he'll play another? Well, I suppose what I mean is like uh, the game that we were talking about just now, Aubameyang and Lacazette playing together and one assist in the other. And the game that I always remember for that is the uh, Valencia game uh, a couple of seasons ago under Unai Emery at the Mestalla. And them playing together up front, and I think we won 4-2 that game. Do you think that you would ever see Mikel Arteta sacrifice his principles to do something like that? Say so go for a 4-4-2 in the absence of uh, traditional number 10 and have... Uh, Aubameyang and Lacazette up front together or do you think we'll still see a variation of a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3? Can I jump in here really quick? I honestly feel like Arteta has kind of um, hitched his wagon to this to this particular horse of persisting with a more progressive or a certain philosophy that I don't think he'll veer away from at all. You know, without a without a ten, he was very persistent on still switching from a three four three to a four two three one and trying Lacazette and Willian in those you know the ten position, the creator position. So, I think up until this point, he's he's shown himself to be uh, quite um, rigid and um, you know very bold in his what he wants to do. So even in a one-off game where 
we probably are like, we just want to get our best two strikers out there. We don't really have a 10. Let's just, you know, because I could easily see us playing, you know, Lacazette and Aubameyang up top together and maybe Pepe and Willian on wide on either side and Jaka and Party through the, in the middle of the midfield and, and just working it out that way. But Arteta's really shown himself like who he is. You know, I think I know unless he he would have to do something drastic to make me think otherwise. But I think he's this season is all about proving his way is the right way. And even if it's not, I'm going to stick with it regardless. You know, so I would actually like to see a 4-4-2. That's actually a really good suggestion, but um, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, if I'm honest. Do do you think, uh, just picking up on that, do you think it's detrimental to Arteta? I mean, obviously the performances we've had recently haven't been great. And, you know, a lot of people are starting to get to that point where you're saying the results aren't coming, the same mistakes happening over and over again. Do you think Arteta's persistence with the 4-2-3-1, even in times when it's not potentially the best option, and I'm thinking on Thursday, for example, as well, if you were to see one of Lacazette and Aubameyang dropped, which is likely, do you think that the the idea of what the other one not playing will really sort of begin to wear away a lot of fans' sort of um, faith in Arteta? Yeah, I mean, his, um, his way of trying to have his cake and eat it too is to shoehorn Aubameyang into the left wing. You know, I think that's as flexible as he's going to get with this. We will, I think we'll see a relatively similar shape and formation um, that we've seen for the majority of the season. I do think that there is a level of, you know, um, discontent from the fan base knowing that we probably could, it's almost like mm, there's, a select few players in our squad that are underperforming because they're being asked to do things that are outside of their skill set. And that's because Arteta is persistent in this style. Um, Aubameyang is a, he's really a, um, he's really one of those players, you know, we're not really playing to his strengths, but, you know, I think there's a, a, a couple of different narratives that will start to, become louder and louder and more prevalent in the papers and on Twitter and, you know, in the Arsenal sphere, if, if you will, if we don't get through, you know, to the next round, you know, it won't just be about, you know, Arteta being stubborn in the way that he plays. It's going to be about, you know, playing certain players, you know, you guys let me know what you think about this, but there's a question here that I just picked up randomly from somebody on my Twitter that was asking me about, um, you know, if, if Saka doesn't feature on Thursday and we don't go through, will people reflect on the loss of, of Saka and Tierney against Sheffield and Liverpool and respectively wonder why we risk them? And I think that kind of goes in line with what you were saying, Ben, that there are different narratives that will start to kind of swirl around if we don't get through that will reflect reflect poorly on Arteta. But, um, you know, even Michael said the other day when we were recording that as a manager, you don't just switch things. You know, you persist with your philosophy regardless, you know, and um, most managers are that way. So why would Arteta be any different? Yeah, I think when I said that he treats, he can treat games as islands, I, don't, I didn't really mean a really kind of abrupt style change in the sense of going from um, what we have been doing um, to 
kind of like a rigid four four two where we're now suddenly kind of playing a lot more direct and kind of using the front two as kind of a, a traditional front two. And we're kind of pumping balls into the channels and asking them to chase after them. I'm more meant it in the sense that sometimes when Arteta feels like he needs a result, he makes like very specific decisions to to counter things the other team does. And a, and a good example of that is last season, uh, not long after the restart, we played Wolves away. And I remember him playing um, Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Um, as soon as we scored, the, um, as soon as... Uh, we, 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 remember we scored the goal and it got towards the second half. And I remember he brings on Ainsley Maitland-Niles and he just asks him to just, just shackle himself to Adama. And um, uh, it was literally as soon as Adama came on, it was, okay, Ainsley, you're on. And it's, it's that kind of decision that um, uh, that you kind of get kind of Arteta as the tactician rather than Arteta as the project manager in the sense that he was perfectly willing to sacrifice any real attacking impetus we had down that left-hand side. Um uh, so we could put a player on that would track Adama Traore and just make sure he was as ineffective as possible. And it and it worked on the night. And I remember uh, Joe Willock getting the the second goal and winning two 0 And even though it wasn't a very good performance, I'd say um, it was almost a performance where the team suffered together. And and uh, it was like a great pick me up. And it kind of helped spur us on to improving our form a bit. And, and that's the kind of thing is what I mean is that um, like uh, like for instance the um, I don't know if you, I don't know the name of the player, but um, when we played Slavia Prague last time in the seventieth minute, like maybe a bit after that, they brought in a, a very tall, um, physically capable striker, and he was given like us the run around for the whole time. They were just kind of blasting balls up to him, and he was taking them down off his chest and turning the um, turning the defender, and it was really hard to kind of get any kind of um, kind of control over him. And and that's the kind of thing that I think I'll will look at is he'll look at that. Um, that switch in the last game that really kind of they built momentum off and say, how can I switch that for this game? And he may not kind of choose it from the start in 11, but um, I think it could be the fact like we just saw Mary in the last game. It could be um, him saying, OK, I'm, this game I'm going to have Mary in and I'm going to kind of um, brief him on this player and we're not going to let him um, kind of give the momentum to Slavia Prague that we let them have in the last game. So um you know I what, Luco? That... I like that. Like, I like yeah. that about Arteta. Like, if he does those little changes, I think that's fine and something that you can live with. I think it's the, you know, changing everything and overthinking it and tinkering is where we get kind of like scary 100%. Arteta. You know, that's where we, we don't want to see scary Arteta where we're like, what is he doing? He completely just threw away the... We need to play close to a 4-2-3-1 because that's what we've been playing this entire season. Don't over tinker. But yeah, if you have little weapons on the bench or, you know, ideas about like, okay, if they bring in this particular player, I'm going to bring in this one to counteract that. I think that's good Arteta. I think that's the Arteta that we like. And I think we'd actually like to see more of that Arteta, you know, willing to make in-game changes to, to influence the game. Sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't. But ultimately yeah. what I don't like is standing on the sideline and doing nothing Arteta. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think this is a great point that we can make about Emery in the sense that um, uh, in the first season of Emery, we saw that he tried to commit to a very specific style of play and it didn't always work. But it, like every time we played, um, and a lot of people kind of said they didn't see the identity, but the, the very little you saw was every game we tried to play out from the back. Um, the wing backs would be given a lot of freedom to overlap and we'd be getting kind of those low driven crosses into the box. And um, and it got to, and obviously the pressing as well, like we'd, we'd be very like obvious presses. Um, but then it felt like because of our defensive frailties, 
as soon as the second season started, that all just went out the window. And suddenly we were just a very like defensive counter-attacking team. Remember, we played Newcastle all the way on the first day of the season, and it was almost this like like absorbing counter for the whole game. And we we're just kind of asking Reese Nelson just to kind of run up the wing. And then I remember Burnley second game of the season again. It just it just kind of the the, the problem is if you have a philosophy, that's fantastic. And I think all the best managers in the world have philosophy. Like you don't see um, like Klopp and Pep make a lot of switches and changes, but they they kind of they do it within. Um, within the spaces that they create, so like, um, uh, like Pep, uh, I've seen him go to a three at the back with two up front. I've seen him go, um, uh, just four three three. I've seen him play centre mids at left back. He's played inverted wing backs. He has them wides. He makes a lot of changes, but the philosophy of how they play is still the same. And I think a lot of time when you see the post match press conferences with Klopp and Pep, and the and the commentators will say things to them like, oh, you know, you changed this today. Like, like, what does that mean? And and the reaction is always almost kind of like they're they're bemused. They're saying like, like we're we're playing the same way. We're just asking the players to do slightly different things. Like it's it's not really as different as you think it is. And uh, I think that's like a big thing for Arteta is that he's kind of he's creating uh, this kind of space for the players to play in, so the players know what they're doing. But there will be times he has to say, okay, but today I need this, and today I need a bit of this. And that'd be the main thing. Um, against Slavia Prague, I think it would be another one of those days where um, maybe he has to make a few more changes than we used to, because I think that he's maybe a bit more open to changing than, say, a, a Klopp or a Pep. That could be because he's young. It could be because um, he feels that there are times he has to prioritise results. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's well capable of these little changes that we've just um, been talking about. And uh, I'd say more often than not, I'd like to think that he gets it right. But again, he's a young manager. We never really know. So basically, summary so far, you know, we have no idea what he's going to do on Thursday. We can't predict <laughs> it. You know, it could be anything, you know, and I, I look forward to an hour prior to the game starting when Arsenal Twitter meltdown, you know, yeah. melts down and <laughs> and uh, we look at the lineup and it's nothing like what we could have ever imagined, yeah. you know. Well, but... I, I, remember, I remember tweeting before the game um, uh, <laughs> when everyone saw the, the team sheet and everyone was like quite happy and I was quite happy and I said as a joke, everyone's uh, going to be really like annoyed when they see it's a free at the back and Martinelli's playing right wing back kind of tongue in cheek and then Jacker ends up playing left back. So, you know, I remember <laughs> no that. Really knows. My, big, my biggest worry about it though is it's just... Um, Arteta out thinking himself because I think Pep does the same thing a fair bit. Um, where I mean, especially last season, I remember that Champions League tie against Leon where he moved to a three at the back and it was just disastrous because nobody had any idea what was going on. Uh, I think Arteta does that a fair bit. I think we saw that in the first leg as well, uh, asking the players that were on the pitch to make these runs in behind, which worked. You know, if it's completely different if we win that 4 0 and the players have taken their chances. But at the end of the day, I think Slavia Prague were quite poor. And I think we probably could have played our normal game and still got a couple of goals, um, you know, playing a much more comfortable way for us. And having Smith Rowe on the last shoulder, for example, didn't really sit right with me. Um, And not having Pepe on when we were trying to do that again. It's a case of Arteta, as you say, thinking these things to counter other things. But sometimes it's just, he thinks it. He overthinks it too much, and it's not quite what I think he expects it to be. I agree with that. I think we all have that little bit of anxiety about the over tinkering Arteta. 
you know, that Arteta is not an Arteta that we've come to love, you know, but um, ultimately we will see on Thursday, you know, what he comes up with. I mean, it's pretty much Europa League or bust at this point, you know, so I'm hoping that he makes the right decision, but, you know, I can definitely see no matter what the, if the result is not a good one and we're knocked out, regardless of what lineup he put out there, even if we thought it was a good one, Arsenal is going to melt down. You know, the Arsenal fan base is going to just implode, you know, but, you know, just pivoting away from that just a little bit so we can talk about, you know, just one player in particular. I think this is so interesting, you know, because I sympathize with Lacazette so much when it comes to his Arsenal career, because I think he's, um, the word I want to use is misunderstood, you know, but I think it's, there's a lot of layers to his career, and a lot of context that's never really applied because we want to simplify it into good player, bad player. And I think there's so much more to talk about. You know, he had two really big chances that he missed against Slavia Prague in the first tie. And, um, you know, but in, in contrast to that, he's our highest scorer in the Premier League with 13 goals, 73 goal involvements in 124 appearances for Arsenal. And I remember last season feeling like, wow, this guy, you know, just a, a horrific goal drought, away goal drought after his ankle injury, you know, but um, has been fairly consistent this season and a really thankless role, you know, in our Teta system. And the way I really describe our um, Lacazette is uh, he can look really dangerous one minute and painfully out of the, out of form that the next, you know, one game to, to the next, we get two completely different Lacazettes, but you know, it's just when I think about it, I'm just like, is squad building. When I look at Lacazette, I think squad building, poor squad building. You know, um, you bring him in, and six months later, you bring in a Bamiang. You know, and I know maybe the thought process was they could, we could figure out a way to play them together. But ultimately, I think that combination has been relatively fruitless, you know, since we've, we've tried to make it work. And when you bring in Lacazette, and then Alexis leaves, and then you bring in Aubameyang. That's not even like for like, you know. Um, well, let's just go with Lacazette in general. You know, we were looking for somebody to improve upon Giroud. And we said to ourselves, okay, we need a 20 to 30 goal, you know, a season striker. I know we did that at Lyon, but almost half of those were, those goals were like penalties and free kicks. You know, he's not really that guy. He was the main guy at Lyon, but that's in league, like, you know, in the French league, you know, it's completely different than, you know, the Premier League. And our team was not set up right. Like his Arsenal career coincides with a very dark time in Arsenal's history of late you know, where we have a very imbalanced squad, a couple of different managers, and he's being overshadowed by the striker that we thought he was going to be, you know, so I just look at it as poor squad building and a lot of the context is never applied. And he gets, in my mind, very unfair criticism. And to see how he's playing now, I just think to myself, like, maybe we should have just built the team a little bit better and see what he could have done. Because again, when you lose Alexis and you bring in a bombing, that's not good squad building because they're not similar. And maybe if Lacazette had had another winger on the other side of him, he would have done better, you know, but that's just, you know, revising history. Ultimately we're here, you know, in a, do we keep him? Do we, do we sell him kind of scenario? But what do you guys think about, you know, um, Lacazette's career at Arsenal? 
Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking about it earlier, to be, be fair, and um, I could only come to conclusion. I, I find him a really hard player to quantify, and I think that's because there's a lot of kind of different layers and facets to almost like this enigma that is Lacazette Arsenal. Um, I think that he's definitely not as good as we hoped he'd been, since he's a £50 million striker that hasn't been prolific. Um but, at the same time, I think that he does a lot of really good stuff that goes under the radar. I think um, it hasn't really been mentioned enough that he is a player that has previously won our player of the season. Um, in the Premier League, he's on 50 goals and 23 assists in 124 games, which isn't bad, but also isn't spectacular by any means. Um, he definitely should have scored more goals than he has. But um, as you say, he's um, joined Arsenal at a bad time to join Arsenal in the sense that um, the squad is unbalanced. Um, a lot of the time we definitely didn't play any like anywhere near to his strengths and he's almost kind of had to just do his best, help the team in spite of that and still does. Um, you can see why Arteta likes him. Um, I think that he's good with the other players around him. I think he like generally wants to help the team, wants to help the club. Um, if you were to ask me if I go back in time and and choose whether or not we make the signing then I would honestly not really be able to tell you I think that all things considered I'd re- I regard myself as a Lexit fan um, I defend him a lot more than I criticise him um, or feels like because um, I feel like he gets a lot of um, bad press that isn't really warranted but at the same time I think that a lot of fans do see the work rate and I think that's part of why he's still in my opinion mostly in good stead with the fans I think that if he was a lazy striker or a lazy player that was underperforming in terms of like goals, then a lot of people would be a lot quicker to kind of jump at the throat of him. But at the same time, I think people um, don't really like, they disregard that he does have talent in a lot of areas that he doesn't really get a chance to use. Because I think like obviously earlier in the season when we were playing the system to get the best out of Aubameyang and he was pretty much just left in that central area completely alone. Every time he was getting the ball, he was back to goal about three or four players directly kind of pushing up against him. And he actually didn't like, didn't have a chance. And and the reactions that was always, Oh, well, like that's got to do better here. Like, why is he falling over there? And it just, it to me almost kind of felt quite harsh. Um, this season and for all the criticism he got off Sabia Prague game this season, he's come to, you know, he's come to our aid a lot more than a Birmingham has come to our aid. I think that's pretty objective. Um, he's, I think two goals away from his best ever Prem tally, which obviously is, I think, it, which I think his best up until now is 14. So it's not, you know, again, it's not a spectacular return, but he's got enough time to get, like, if he continues his form, he could easily get like 16, 17, 18 goals, which would be a good return for a striker. Um, I think that there's a lot in the air about his future. Um, uh, and again, there's another one of the huge decisions in the summer would be whether or not we're going to keep him. But I guess we'll kind of we'll talk a bit, bit more about about that um, after this. But yeah, he's he's just he's one of those crazily on the fence players, and uh, and I think he's more of a force for good than a force for bad. If I'm being honest. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head a lot there when it comes to fans' uh, appreciation of players. And I think if you were to compare him to Aubameyang, who has just said we signed six months later, his um, standing with the fans doesn't decrease as much as Aubameyang's does when he doesn't score goals because Aubameyang is solely in the side to score goals. And I think most people understand that. You know, 
we know that Aubameyang isn't gonna be you know busting a goal for the side all the time you know every minute of every game but if he scores two goals and we win the game 2-1 you can forgive that like he did for you know the last two seasons that we've had him with Lacazette though he's almost the opposite if he doesn't score he's probably done something to affect the game you know very rarely does he go through a game where he is really really poor uh and he doesn't hold up the ball at all um, he doesn't create anything. He doesn't play others in. But the problem is, we signed Lacazette for fifty million pounds to be that guy who gets you thirty goals a season. And if we wanted a player that could hold the ball up and bring others in, we already had the perfect player for that in Giroud. So, although we can say Lacazette works hard and he holds the ball up well, ultimately, that should never have been in his job description because we deliberately bought a player to transition us from that into someone who's going to give you more opportunities in front of goal and take those opportunities in front of goal, uh, which I think is why, you know, you are saying if, if we could go back in time, you wouldn't know whether you'd sign him or not. I think if you go back in time, you definitely don't sign Lacazette. You keep Giroud and then maybe you add a Bamiang in January like we did. But bringing in Lacazette only for six months later you to bring in a Bamiang and sell Giroud at the same time, is so it sort of sums up how the club have been for the last three years with transfers. It's two different styles, three different styles. If you want to, you know, chuck in the way Giroud played for us in linking up the play, um, sort of trying to mesh it all into different sides with different players around them. And, you know, Alexis leaving is another issue entirely. But if you don't have a, a striker who you know what you expect from your striker, then it becomes very difficult to sort of build an attack around it. And I think that's something that Lacazette has suffered with. I think he's a good player. Whether he's a £50 million striker and the player that you'd want to fire you back into the top four is, I think, probably something that is up in the air. And I mean, I probably side with no. But I mean, I think that's there's a fair discussion to be had there. Okay, so... I think I think we're all kind of in agreement that, like, there's different layers and you know, to the, to the Lacazette situation, then maybe is is spoken about, but ultimately he has not completed the assignment in which he was given, you know, $50 million striker, wanted to be the 30 goal a season striker and it didn't work, you know, and it hasn't. So now we're, you know, kind of at the end of the road where we're thinking, you know, what do we do with Lacazette? So let's do a little bit of um, a mini squad building session. You know, we have um, Lacazette, Nketia, Aubameyang, Martinelli, and now Balogun that kind of play in those uh, those striker roles. What do we do with them? Who stays? Who goes? And do we need to bring somebody in? You know, what do you see the realistic, you know, do, do we see, even though we're being linked with players like Edouard, do you actually see us going out and investing in a striker in the kind of financial situation that we're in? when we have a Balogun and we have Martinelli and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Balogun probably got some insurances about playing time as well. So yeah, I'll let you guys go first, but you know, if you're a do in Arteta in the summer, who stays, who goes and who potentially comes in? Yeah, it's a, it's a big one to be honest. And again, there's going to be a lot to it that we don't really have full information on. Uh, at the end of the season, Nketiah will have one year left. And I think it's probably dead so that he'll go 
I don't see both him and Mar- and um, Balogun get, getting contract extensions. Um, I don't think that either of them would sign with the other one signing because there's we've only realistically got a pathway for one of them. And um, in terms of Lacazette, he will have one year as well. Um, so the club has to make a decision on whether or not we sell him or we decide to extend him, which I think is unlikely, um, or we just kind of let him go for free and hope that the, the I mean, not obviously the on-pitch performance, yes, but also the off-pitch performance. I think Arteta right now in this kind of stage of rebuild is kind of an integral part where he needs like friends in the dressing room. And I think, like I said, it's definitely one of those friends. Um, to me, if we were to sell Lacazette and um, uh, Nketia and start next season with Aubameyang, Martinelli and Balogun as uh, centre-forward options, to me that's exciting. But I would have also said this time last season, if uh, we were to sell Louise and have uh, Saliba, Gabriel, um, uh, holding Murray as options, that would be exciting too. But obviously the dimensions that have changed because Louise has kind of come forward as a leader which has helped Gabriel become a much better player. And that's not something I would have said last season. I think kind of most fans unanimously would have said they preferred um they would have preferred Louise to go and Salabra to come into the into the fold. So I do think there's more to it than really meets the eye. Um but I'm really not sure what Arteta is gonna gonna go with. I think that it wouldn't surprise me if he did choose to keep Lacazette for one more season, depending on how much money he was offered. Because if we were to sell him one year left on his deal at his current age, I don't really think that we're gonna get a lot for him. I don't know what caliber of teams would be interested in him, to be honest. I don't think that he's gonna go to like a big team. I know that he's been kind of linked over the last few years with a uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, to be fair, like they do make some what I'd call random signings sometimes, like um, like they've signed Morata for big money. Um, uh, it was obviously a bit younger, but it wouldn't surprise me if they went in for him. But other than him, I think we'd be looking at teams of the calibre of like Roma, maybe a few teams from the Bundesliga, maybe he'd go back to Lyon. Um, but in all cases, I don't think there'd be massive money. Um, in terms of Edwards, I think it makes sense that the club would be interested in him because he is the profile that we're after. But um, would they sign him to detriment the money we could put into the rest of the squad is the big question. I, I think that the rest of the season is a good opportunity for Arteta to almost kind of vet Balogun in a sense that to see if he's going to be good enough to kind of step up to that plate, which it seems like he's still got some work to do because Nketiah not only took him um, his position on the bench in the last game, but actually got on to get some rare minutes. So I think Balogun still has to get ahead of Nketiah, let alone get into like ahead of Martinelli, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Uh, so Edouard is a player that I think that whoever he goes will be a good player. So if he's available for a good price, it does make sense to buy him, but we have to make room for him. And and if, like you say, Balogun, he's not going to sign if he's not been given assurances. And all the things I'm reading is that he has been given assurances. So I, I'd personally be surprised if we signed another striker um, without um, getting rid of both Lacazette and Nketiah. I, I think that the the issue that Arsenal have is that, as we found for the last couple of seasons, an elite level striker can dig you out so many holes uh, that you know you've been put in by the rest of the team potentially not being good enough. Um, and I think that if you go into a season with Balogun, Martinelli, and then Abamyang, if something happens to Abamyang, you're in a world of trouble. And obviously, he has been relatively injury free for his uh, career at Arsenal, at least. I don't know about before that. But, um, you know, you say the same about Van Dijk before he got injured. And it's sort of a case of 
it's it'll be easy to say with hindsight that potentially we should have bought another striker if that happens. So I would probably try and cover that base early. Um, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure how I do it. I think that's a very difficult question because, as you say, Balogun has probably been given assurances, whether we like it or not. You know, he's a 19 year old kid who hasn't actually played any Premier League football yet. So we don't know how good he's going to be. Um, you've got to hope that the the staff at, uh, at London Colney have sort of looked at him and gone, he's good enough to play for us. You know, he'll get regular minutes. But it's difficult to say, it's, it's difficult sitting here as a fan with no inside information on Balogun, aside from his performances at a under-23 level, which I think is, you know, a completely different kettle of fish playing in the, in the senior leagues. Uh, it's difficult to sit here and say, I'd be happy with him playing, you know, 20 games next season because, you know, I, I probably would have said the same about Nketiah three seasons ago, two seasons ago. And if that had been the case, uh, you know, he's he's not really, um, he's not really proven himself in the Premier League yet. Um, he's had some good games. I remember the game against Watford, which was his debut, I think, in the Carabao Cup, where he came in and changed the game. But other than that, he's not really set the set the league alight in the same way that, say, a Mason Greenwood has um, last season for Manchester United. So I think there's definitely a delicate balance to be had there. But equally, I think the bigger question is, is Eduard the right sort of profile you want if you're going to keep faith in Balogun? Because Eduard's 23, I think, now. Um, having played all of his football so far in the Scottish Premier League and a bit of the Champions League and a bit of the Europa League, um, is he the sort of calibre of player that Arsenal want to be going for in terms of he'd have to come in, adapt to a new league that's a lot harder than the Scottish Premier League, you know, no offence to the Scottish Premier League, but the levels are completely different. And he'd probably get a lot of the Lacazette treatment, to be quite frank. Um, he'd probably get a lot of the, he's not doing enough, he's not scoring enough. He looks like he works quite hard off the ball uh, to bring others into play. But whether he'd be able to keep up the sort of goal-scoring form he's got in the Scottish Premier League is a completely different matter. And then on top of all of that, you've got Lacazette going. And as Luke says, I mean, Atletico Madrid is a destination, but they have just signed um, Moussa Dembele on loan from Lyon. Uh, they think they, I think they've got a 30 million option to buy there. So you're only probably going to get 15, 20 million for him from someone like them. And on top of that, he's only got a year left. So it's like Arsenal have sort of put themselves in a really, really difficult position again by having a strike force that is either too young to really come to the fore next season or too old to sort of hang your hat on for the next three seasons, which makes it really, really difficult to decide what to do in the, I suppose, intermediary couple of seasons that we've got now. I think what we kind of haven't addressed also is the fact that it, it depends on how much football we'll be playing next season. You know, if we're not in European competition, that cuts a lot of the minutes out, you know, that maybe a player like Balogun will get. And I've seen suggestions about maybe Balogun going on loan. Not sure if that's a, a real option, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, um, you know, I think as long as he's getting the wages that he's been promised, if he's getting first team football somewhere and there's a path back to Arsenal at some point, which there most definitely is, considering Lacazette's contract at Aubameyang being, you know, 
also having a contract that you can see the end of, you know, see to the end of, then, um, yeah, I think there's, there's, there's something there, you know, but I think Arteta leans into experience so much that I wouldn't be surprised if Lacazette was here next season, even just running his deal down. Um, 15 million is about what I think people would be offering for Lacazette and Adu and Arteta have shown themselves to be a little inflexible when it comes to fees for our players. We're really funny because it's, you know, we want to pay pennies for other people's players. But um, if somebody wants to offer you 15 million for Eddie and Ketia or, or Lacazette, they scoff at it. But that's a whole nother thing. But, you know, I don't see them. I, I really don't see Arteta going away from the experience thing. You know, we've already said that we lack leadership. And, you know, that's essentially why Louise is still here. We have a poor squad. Um, and so Arteta is kind of leaning into these older players and hoping that it works. And Lacazette is one of those, you know, Aubameyang is the captain, you know, but um, we're really just looking at Lacazette and, and Jacka and, and Louise as our leadership group. So maybe he'll see value in keeping Lacazette for just one more year, maybe loan Balogun out and let Martinelli kind of thrive in that third position, you know, um, but depending on how much football we actually have, you know, it may not be, realistic to have all four of them so decisions will have to be made but if if I was just had like uh you know if Arteta was asking me right now what what to do I would 100% sell Lacazette I would sell Eddie as well and and go with Balogun Martinelli and Aubameyang especially if we're outside of Europe um because we just don't have the space for all of them and I think we'd be on pretty much the cusp of a, another project youth you know, where Arteta will have to trust the, some of the more younger players because um, funds will be a lot tighter. So why not lean into some of the the younger players that we have that are actually really good, like Balogun and Martinelli? You know, at some point, we're going to have to give them um, some playing time. You know, you tried the older players this season, hasn't really worked out. So maybe try some of the younger players and, and see kind of what happens, you know. But, um, yeah, did, you, did either of you guys want to add anything else to that or – I think, it, as much as I I love the idea of just chucking all the all the young players on the pitch, I think yesterday, I th yesterday more than anything, showed that Arteta is very much against that. And I think, I think it's, it's always it's always very difficult to untangle Arteta from Guardiola, due to you know the the uh, time they spent together. But it does feel a lot like Arteta buys into that how Guardiola treated Foden and they didn't get many minutes until he was absolutely ready and then he took the lead by, and they take the lead by storm this season um I think that you know when we look at who came on yesterday uh William came on I know Nketiah did come on for a bit and uh was Aaron Enny the third one that came on uh but you had Nelson Aziz and Nketiah all on the bench and I think everybody would have rather have seen Nelson, Aziz, and Nketiah as the three subs, simply because it gave it gave something a bit different uh, to what we to what we know or, or what we almost know doesn't work uh, with Willie and Elneny. You know, we know the level of that, but with the others, there's more excitement around them. And I think that bottom of the league, two 0 up or one 0 up would have been a, a great time to chuck a couple of them in, uh, especially Nelson, who I think's been pretty hard done by this season. In terms of not getting a loan move and dropping out of the match day squad entirely, so I think that 
as much as I, I agree with you, Jess, I think that it would be great to see uh, Balogun and Martinelli relied on uh, for the front, just because it would be fun to see Project Youth uh, sort of explode, I suppose, not ne- if not necessarily next season, then you know the season after or the season after, and sort of build towards something. I can't see Arteta relying on that at all. And as I think Luke said earlier, he, Arteta loves to rely on the experience, so it makes it very difficult to see you know, the likes of Balogun, the likes of Martinelli, um, even John Jules, who I think is on the load of Doncaster at the moment, uh, coming into the side and getting any regular minutes, which I think is really quite disappointing. But also, if the, in a way, if the senior players are going to start pulling their weight, it shouldn't be an issue. There's a there's a balance to it, isn't there? I think that's that's the main thing that we've seen with Arteta is I've seen a lot of people criticise him for an apparent um, uh, not like that. Apparently, he doesn't want to use youth, but I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that, like right now in the team, you can see Saka is a mainstay. Uh, Smith Rowe, when he's fit, is a mainstay. Odegaard is a mainstay. Gabriel, who like, who is still like 22 years old, 22, 23, didn't really play much football. Like usually, he's like in the team. Um, uh, I just think it's more down to the fact that. I think like, these young players have a lot to offer, but I, I think that around them you have to put enough experience so that they're not having to kind of do it on their own because there's a lot of uh, problem-solving skills that comes with the experience. And there's like a, like the same, same as we have said before in the sense of Louise and Gabrielle is that Gabrielle kind of almost kind of gets managed by Louise and that's really helped him. And I think that um, Smith-Rowe and uh, Saka both have said like really great things. And Marseille last night actually said really good things about Lacazette and how he deals with them and talks to them a lot and helps them on the pitch. And I think that's that's kind of what it boils down to is that I, I think Arteta alluded to similar. You can have young players on the pitch. It's great. It's fantastic seeing you. We all love it, especially as Arsenal fans. But you have to put players around them that know how to manage the game and can help them become the players um, that they have the talent to be. And that's kind of what it is always going to boil down to. So there has to be a nice balance between the two. And at the moment, I think Arteta maybe you could argue that he leans a little bit too much towards the experience. But, I mean, we've seen that with a lot of uh, people in the sense that, like, um, Klopp's best team recently has come with a lot of players that are over 26. Um, Pep's best teams came with the likes of of David Silva and Vincent Company playing well into their 30s. Um, it's just about filling a squad up with those kind of nice profiles and then kind of finding the balance between experience and youth for me. Yeah, it's all about balance. I completely agree with you guys. It's my my thing about the youth is not necessarily that I feel like we just chuck them all in there. I just don't see how we it's 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 so difficult because we just have so uh, such a small amount of or limited amount of players that are in that good age. You know, you have like Pepe, what Ceballos, but he's on loan. You know, there's very few players that are in that good range where you can rely on them. You know, we have players that are on the wrong side of 30 and 19 and 20 year olds. So that's definitely something to consider, but I think we're going to stop it there. I think we've done a really good job of, you know, talking about the game and Lacazette and kind of a little bit of squad building, you know, um, I want to thank everybody who listens to the podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us and, you know, being a part of our journey. We are trying to grow. So any support that we get um, is is very appreciated. And we, you know, we appreciate, appreciate retweets and, you know, good reviews and all that kind of stuff as well. You know, if you can help us out with that. 
Um, yeah, Luke and Ben, thank you guys so much for being here. You know, you guys are usually regulars, so I'm sure the listeners are getting, you know, used to hearing you guys. But um, yeah, thank you guys for uh, hanging out for a little bit. Pleasure. I mean, I think the listeners are probably getting tired of hearing us more than enjoying it. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're still going to bombard them because, you know, it's all content, 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 you know, just keep going, you know, especially because we have so many games. But we will keep you guys updated on when the next podcast will be. There will be sometime after, you know, um, the European match. So we'll keep you guys updated on that. You can always find us at your my arsenal, send us DMS, let us know how we can make your listening experience better and send over questions. And we'll be happy to answer them. My name is Jessica and I'm your host. And you can follow me on Twitter at it's Jessinho, and we will see you guys on the next one. Bye guys. Hulk Pires. Fantastic! What a way to claim your hat trick. Pires picking out. Ben Campbell. Ben Campbell with a chance and he's taken it. Brilliant goal. Ten minutes gone. Dennis Bergkamp gives Arsenal the lead. There's a ring. Arsenal have won it. Arsenal have won the game. Nobody struck that way. Bellerin. Ramsey with the run from midfield. Aubameyang. Beautifully done. And here's a chance for Arsenal. And it's to home. It's an Ozil. Great start for the Gunners. A good ball by Dixon. Finding Smith. But Thomas charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now!